I speak to you in the name of one Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I came across a story recently about Dorothy Day, the 20th century Catholic laywoman, political radical, and founder of the Catholic Worker. The story is about what's known as Dorothy Day's coffee cup mass. And it goes like this. During the 1970s, towards the end of Dorothy Day's life, some priests were becoming rather casual with the liturgy. One afternoon, a priest came into the soup kitchen where Dorothy Day was working. He wanted to offer a liturgy for the people there. He went into the kitchen and grabbed a mug to use as the chalice for the wine. Dorothy, although frustrated at the irreverent use of houseware for the liturgy, prayed throughout the Mass with the priest. After the liturgy ended, she quietly got up and started to cleanse the vessels. And then she walked outside with the mug and a shovel. A man followed her and asked her what she was doing. It is said she kissed the mug and then buried it. She told him that it was no longer a mug, but a chalice. It was no longer suited for coffee. It had held the blood of Christ. She didn't want anyone to mistake it for just a mug again. Once something holds the body of Christ, it is no longer what it was. When that mug held the blood of Christ, it changed its vocation forever. It could no longer hold anything less than Christ again. There is something immediately beautiful about this story to me. It is this idea, by holding the body of Christ, by encountering Christ, a thing is changed forever. Of course, at the Eucharist, at communion, or as Catholics call it, a mass, we are invited to hold the body of Christ, and so we are changed. This story reminds us that when it might be easy to miss, when it might be easy to see that the Eucharist is so special, it reminds us that it is more than merely a ritual action or a reenactment or a remembrance. It is more than that. By our being together, by our praying over the bread, by our breaking it and sharing it, we encounter God and we are changed. But there is also something a little suspect about the story to me. Would Dorothy Day, famous for her radicalism, her practicality, and her devotion to the poor, would Dorothy Day really bury a perfectly good mug? And to extend the metaphor, after we take communion, do we then go out and bury ourselves as if we are no longer fit for a life in the world? So I did a little digging about this mug story, 
In 2017, in the National Catholic Reporter, Brian Terrell wrote an article about what he calls this fable. The fable has become a rather well-known story about Dorothy Day, one that is recounted often as a classic illustration of Day's reverence for the Eucharist and for her adherence to the ritual traditions and regulations of the church. But he wrote, where I lived for some years in the 1970s and where the coffee cup is said to have been buried is a tiny square of broken concrete where the garbage accumulates until pickup day. And this is the Catholic Worker House on 1st Street between 1st and 2nd Avenues right here in our neighborhood. The soil in this backyard is the detritus of coffee grounds, potato peels, broken glass, and as he puts it, the composting feces of generations of feral cats. A shovel wouldn't have done it. She would have required a pickaxe, if not a jackhammer, to do the job of burying this mug. Along with many of her generation who lived through the Great Depression, Day had a deep aversion to waste. And it is hard to imagine her sacrificing a perfectly good coffee cup to any scruple, no matter how deeply ingrained. So how did this story come to be circulated? Well, in a column published in The Catholic Worker in March 1966, she wrote, I am afraid I am a traditionalist in that I do not like to see mass offered with a large coffee cup as a chalice. In this column, she did express her discomfort about the use of a cup at a mass said by a visiting priest. But she did not write about burying it, and she did not actually attend the liturgy herself. She only heard about it. Terrell goes on to make the case that when Day said in this column, I am afraid I'm a traditionalist, she really meant it. Far from digging in her heels and making a stand for the old accepted practices, Day was here writing confessionally. She was not boasting of her traditionalism as a virtue, but was admitting a weakness for the familiar that she was not entirely proud of. Read in context, I am afraid I am a traditionalist in that I do not like to see mass offered with a large coffee cup as a chalice, speaks of a moment of truth, a spiritual growth spurt, even so late in her life. I didn't like it, you can hear her say, but I acknowledge that it was indeed Eucharist. What Day learned from the coffee cup mass was that the ceramic cup from which the homeless Christ sips coffee is no less holy and no more profane than the silver chalice that holds Christ's blood in the form of wine at communion. As she said about communion, there Christ is with the poor, the suffering, even in the cup we share together, in the bread we eat. There Christ is whatever the vessel looks like. 
I'm thinking of Dorothy Day's coffee cup mass this morning as we gather together at Grace Church for Holy Eucharist. We will not use a mug as a chalice. And I'm not sure of all the times Holy Eucharist has been celebrated in this holy place that a coffee mug has ever been used as a chalice on that altar. Instead, we use sterling silver vessels, which are reverently and carefully cleaned and stored and buffed and polished and used again and again and again for generations. It can be easy, I think, to lose sight of what it is that we're doing if we let ourselves stay too separate from the symbol's original meaning or what the holiness of our communion is really pointing us to, which is Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what we hear in Jesus' words from the gospel today. It's Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. If you take a moment to picture Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, my guess is you would imagine Jesus standing at the top of a hill preaching to a gathered crowd in the valley. But what does our text actually say? When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He sat down. Jesus sat down to preach the sermon. I've been preaching for about 10 years now, and I have never, not once, sat down to preach the sermon. We have architecturally a practical thing going on here. The pulpit, which has moved around this space several times over the years, landed in the one place that almost every pew has a good view. It landed within the congregation, symbolizing the voice of the preacher coming up from the people. And it also landed with some elevation, I think, to symbolize probably a bridge between the people and God, that hopefully what I say points to God. But Jesus knew what we humans can sometimes forget, that God is not only up here, up in the sky. God is instead around us, and actually God is our foundation, the ground, just as much as God is above. Jesus goes on to turn everything that the disciples and the people thought about God on its head. People thought that people who were poor were poor because of their spirits, because of their separation from God. No, Jesus says, the people who are suffering God blesses them. So today I challenge you to imagine these familiar words as fresh words from an unexpected place, not from Jesus on a hilltop, not from me in this pulpit, but from someone sitting just beside you. You say to each other, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted.
Perhaps this is you this morning. I know there is a mourner on my mind, on many of our minds this morning. Tyree Nichols's mother, Rovon Wells. Her son was beaten by five police officers on January 10th in Memphis, Tennessee. He died three days later. And just Friday, the video of this horrific event was released where you can hear him cry out for his mother. There are things to say about this, and I'm sure we are all thinking a lot of them. One thing I will say, the prophet Micah says in our reading from scripture today, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It is clear the system of justice is broken in our land when this is what anyone could think it should look like. To do justice is to love kindness, Micah says. Or as Dr. Cornell West often says, justice is what love looks like in public. The killing of Tyree Nichols was not love. Jesus says Rovon Wells is blessed. You see now how this is a radical redefinition of what it means to be blessed. To be blessed is not to be protected from the world to live a charmed life, but rather being blessed means presence with God. Being blessed means that in your suffering, God is with you. When you are suffering, God is with you. There's one more very important part, though, a conclusion to the Beatitudes, this list of topsy-turvy blessings. God does not want this suffering for you or for the world. And this is where Jesus' death meets us, in the Eucharist, the holy food and drink. We take it so seriously that the ritual might get a little bit in the way. And if that is the case for you, as you approach the bread and the wine today, I urge you to imagine it for what it is. Food that will, ch- that will change you in your encounter with it. Food that will make you a holy vessel. Food that will make you a healer for the suffering in the world. The system breaks down when each individual within it cannot see the other as a holy vessel. When we cannot see the holy in those around us. No one surrounding Tyree Nichols on that night saw the holy in him. And it has to be, of course, that they were estranged from the holy within themselves. 
Reforming systems of injustice is not an easy task, and it is definitely not a one-person job. Personally, it can require dispensing with a lot of the comforts of life that we hoard up to protect ourselves from suffering. Like Dorothy Day with her strict feelings about how to celebrate Eucharist, we all can have a weakness for the familiar, a fear of giving up our privileges. But the inspiration in Dorothy Day's coffee cup story is the fact that she came to change her mind, to evolve her thinking about things in her old age. She had what Terrell called her spiritual growth spurt even late in her boldly lived life. This transformation is available to you as well. What feels cozy and familiar to you, but which God might be calling you to re-examine? What is deepening your estrangement from the holy within yourself? Whatever that is, God calls you to get rid of it. In her memoir, The Long Loneliness, Dorothy Day wrote, We cannot love God unless we love each other. And to love, we must know each other. We know Jesus in the breaking of bread, and we know each other in the breaking of bread. And we are not alone anymore. May it be so for us. Amen.